passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everyone, and we are live from the Big Phil Palace in Aurora, Ontario, Canada. This is the UFC 272 post-show. I am the Big Phil Combo, Phil Chair Talk, joined by the one, the only, Eric Marcotte. Eric, how are you doing on this uh, Sunday morning, Saturday evening? Uh, I won't lie, Phil. I'm, I'm pretty tired. As we are recording this, it is uh, 1.20 in the morning, and it feels even later than that. Uh, how about you? How are you doing right now? I'm doing pretty good. I'm tired as well, but I know that after this, I'll be going to bed, whereas you will be grabbing a controller. Am I correct? You are correct. We don't get a lot of days off, and uh, it's Elden Ring time, as the UFC informed us multiple times throughout this card. That's right. Big time sponsor on today's card and uh, big time game, one of the bigger game releases of the year. So uh, we won't delay the show. We know a lot of people are anxious to get back to playing it. So let's let's get on with the review, this uh, big event. Uh, before we get into the uh, the actual fights, we had the broadcast team of Joe Rogan returning after his mysterious disappearance at UFC 271. I guess no scheduling conflicts this time. We've also got we've also got John Anik, and we also have Michael Bisbing on the card. During uh, the earlier fights, uh, John Anik made a note that Cormier was away uh, at the funeral for his mother. So uh, wishes from the team and from us to Daniel Cormier. But that was uh, the broadcast team for the show. So uh, here we have this big fight between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal, this grudge match, a five-round main event non-title fight. How did you feel about this fight going into it? Were, were you, did you need to see this bitter feud resolved, Eric? Honestly, I didn't care about the feud at all. I didn't pay attention to any of the interviews or post-fight press conferences. None of that interested me at all. But I did think stylistically it would be an interesting fight. So when it was announced, I was definitely for it. Uh, did you pay a bit more attention than I? Not really. I did uh, see the press conference this week because I, I, it was on at a time where I was home. I don't typically watch the press conferences. I thought it was I was going to turn it off. It was going to be horribly cringy. And it was cringy, but not so horribly cringy that I turned it off. I mean, these guys were going very hard at each other. It, it wasn't uh, typical. Like you could tell, it, they were, Colby in particular was saying things that wasn't just to trump up a fight. He was being very personal with his attacks. And so uh, it, you could tell that it was, it was an actual grudge match. Um, legit, whatever that means. Former friends, bitter rivals, Covington <laughs> versus Masvidal. Yes, and and look, uh, uh, as you mentioned, uh, um, 
Yes, it was a grudge match, but it's also an important match in the division. Colby Covington, the number one contender, coming off of his loss to Usman. Masvidal coming off of two straight losses to Usman as well, his first knockout loss of his career. So a lot of interesting questions to be answered in the welterweight division. So uh, why don't you let us know how the fight went down, Eric? All right, so Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal. Uh, naturally, these fighters did not touch gloves to start this fight. Uh, Masvidal starts off with a number of low kicks early, but as the fight progresses, uh, it becomes more of what you would expect. So actually, there was a eye poke from Covington that was missed by the referee, Herb Dean, here originally. And as Masvidal is complaining about the missed poke, Covington's like, the fight wasn't stopped. And he goes for the takedown, and that kind of, leads to him controlling the remainder of the round. He drags Masvidal down repeatedly, takes his back a couple of times, and this is a pretty good start for Colby Covington, an easy 10-9 round in his favor. We go into round two, and... Before before oh, you ahead. get into... Yeah, just before you get into round two, interesting note on that eye poke. Uh, between rounds, Herb Dean goes to Covington and says... I looked at the replay. It was indeed an eye poke. So this is a hard warning. Watch yourself. What'd you think about that, Eric? When have we, have we seen that before? Going to the replay between rounds and then issuing a warning or a point deduction. I can't say I have seen that before, but uh, that's not the only referee decision or a call that we made that I haven't seen before that we'll talk about in this card. So it was just kind of one of those nights, I think. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, no. Uh, go on with the uh, the next round then. So we get into the second round, and Covington goes right back on the attack, pressures Masvidal into the cage, and this time it's a low blow that separates the two, uh, much to Masvidal's delight because he was in a rough position against the cage. Uh, Covington was swinging kind of wildly with his shots, but uh, they, they were effective. It's not like he was missing wildly. They were landing more often than not, I'd say, and Masvidal was looking a bit overwhelmed at times. Still, he countered strongly. He even lands this elbow at one point that cuts Covington open uh, above his right eye, I believe it was, or left eye it was. And as the fight progresses, though, it becomes more of Covington's round once again, drags Masvidal down, and the pressure was really giving Masvidal a ton of problems. I thought this was a close round, though. How did you score round two? So uh, I actually I added it just the way you described it. I found that Masvidal was landing some better shots in this round, and Covington's pace was beginning to pay off. But Masvidal was still landing yeah. the better shots, and I gave him the round. But you could kind of see the writing on the wall a little bit here. Yeah, I gave the edge to Covington, but I, I felt the, exactly the same way. Like, it was competitive, but as it progressed, it felt more like uh, this is not looking good for Jorge Masvidal. And round three is, we'll get into it, probably the best round of the entire fight for Colby Covington because less than a minute into it, he takes Masvidal down. Very little uh, defense here from Jorge. And he's landing vicious elbow after elbow. I mean, this is like a considerable amount of the round. He tries to look for a choke for, like, the last half of it. It never comes. Masvidal is a very good submission defense, right? And, like, in the final seconds, Masvidal is able to get back to his feet, land a couple of left hands, but this was a very one-sided round. I went 10-8 for Colby Covington. Did, did you see a 10-8 round as well? Or? No, I didn't quite see a 10-8 round. I'm a little bit more of a hard-ass on the 10-8s than you, I think. Uh, just a little bit more old school, but I have no complaints uh, here. I just never felt he he had the damage. It was dominant positioning, but it was, you know, pitter-patter punches mostly throughout. But by the end of the round, Masvidal definitely looked tired. 100%. And uh, we'll get into it now, round four. This was far and away the best round of this fight. So we start things off with Covington just continuing to apply pressure. And yeah, Masvidal, he still can't get away from the fence. Covington lands this hard combination of punches as Masvidal's just kind of covering up. And it looked like things were starting to become a bit one-sided because Masvidal is barely defending himself at this point, just taking up like a huge combination of punches. Clearly hurts. But he fires back with this looping right hand that rocks Colby Covington. And he follows it up with another one. Again, big reaction from Covington. But Jorge Masvidal, by this point in the fight, is just too tired to capitalize on it. If he had the energy in him at this point, there's a good chance he would have been able to finish the fight here. But he was drained. 
uh, Covington came back and this round went the distance. Uh, I gave this round to Colby again, despite Masvidal's big punches. But this was an entertaining round and uh, Masvidal's gas tank kind of let him down here, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I also gave the round to Covington, even though uh, Masvidal had the most dramatic part of the f- the round and even the fight. I uh, dropped Colby to a knee and then it, Colby was in all sorts of trouble. And you, you described it very accurately that he just didn't have his, enough in the tank. And I also think he was playing it safe a little bit as well. He didn't want to rush in there because Colby had hurt him in the fight a couple times. Uh, but I think for the most part, yeah, it was that gas tank and you could see it on his face. He, he was kind of just like a little bit dejected that he didn't even get the chance to uh, put him away there. But uh, yeah, the most interesting round of the fight for sure. We get into round five, and round five looks a lot like round three did. Colby quickly gets the takedown, spends the near entirety of the round in top position, goes for a choke a couple of times, never gets it, but he rides out the entire round in top position. Very clear round for Colby Covington. I personally scored the fight 50-44 to in his favor, and the scorecards were read 49-46 Covington, 50-44 Covington, and 50-45 Covington. So Colby Covington is your winner by unanimous decision. Uh, how did you score it, Phil, and your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, so I added 49-46. I gave Masvidal that second round, and the other rounds I gave to Colby, no 10-8s. Uh, pretty dominating performance. Essentially ex- the exact type of fight you thought it would be. It would be Colby's wrestling versus the counter-wrestling and striking of Masvidal, but uh, Colby's pressure just too much for him. Um, afterwards, Colby called out Dustin Poirier, uh, sort of another uh, former teammate uh, for or, uh, potentially a pretty big fight. That would mean that Poirier would be stepping up to 170 pounds, but that's uh, something he's expressed an interest at doing before. And at this point in his career, it, it kind of makes sense to have a, a big fight. So what are your thoughts on that potential output uh, out on that potential matchup and just the future of uh, Colby in this uh, welterweight division, you know, having lost to the champion twice. Yeah. I mean, it makes as much sense as anything for him, right? I, I mean, Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal, regardless of the outcome of this fight, we're kind of in the exact same position. Both men have lost to Kamaru Usman twice. Both men have been finished by Kamaru Usman. They're not next in line for a title shot. So what's next for them, right? Are they just moving into gatekeeper roles, especially Covington, who most people would say is the second top welterweight? It's tough to say. Mm -hmm. So when he calls out someone like Dustin Poirier, sure, you look at the rankings and you go, what? That doesn't make any sense. But what's next for him? There's nothing logical, so go for something big, something that will make you some money. And that fight would draw a lot of interest for all the same reasons that this one did. And, and you know, to your point about having already fought Usman twice, Usman doesn't look like he's facing any serious challenger for a bit. So the only way that you're going to get back into the mix uh, after having lost him twice is by having just a big fight. Not necessarily a, a, a fight against, like if he beats Gilbert Burns, like, I mean, I, you know, Hamzat's set up to, I'm just saying, if they put him against Gilbert Burns, I'm not sure that does as much for him as beating Poirier does, because it's just a bigger uh, set of eyeballs on that fight. So uh, we'll see what they have, uh, what they set up, but that just seems like the next step. Uh, Masvidal, in his post-fight speech, just expressed disappointment with his inability to wrestle um nothing much uh, other than there uh, uh clearly the bad blood continues it was not uh there's no squash beef this was like we said it was a legit feud and it continues afterwards uh masvidal you know he, this is kind of a turning point in his career it, it sort of seems like that gatekeeper status really is is kind of reserved for him you know he's never he hasn't been able to really even in big fights, get the W outside of uh, the Askren one. So uh, just curious what you see in the future for him, Eric. I mean, Jorge Masvidal now, he's, he's 37 years old, a long-time veteran of the sport. I feel like in some regards, he's he's finally starting to show his age a bit because I feel like Jorge Masvidal from five years ago would not be gassed out by the third round despite Covington's pressure. 
So perhaps that's finally catching up with him. But nonetheless, he's still a huge star. So I can't imagine him like being uh, thrown too far down the card. As far as an interesting next match for him, I don't know. You can always find somebody that's going to resonate with the fans, right? How how low do you want to go in the ratings? Do you want to put him against a guy like Robbie Lawler? I don't know. I'm not sure I'd go that low personally, but people would be into that. And I think people are going to be into Hori Masvidal's next move no matter what it is. But it, it's probably not any anywhere close to Kamaru Usman. So, so what's a name? Give me a name. Who are you booking Masvidal versus next? Oh, okay. Let's think about who's Who's I, I've got a name. I've got a name. Okay. I've got a name in my head. Well, Shoot. You, it's not quite a welterweight. Ready? Tony okay. Ferguson. Oh, Tony Ferguson. Uh, yeah, I mean, that'd be a fun fight. I don't know. Two legends. <laughs> Tony's a huge guy. I mean, I, I don't really want to see him at 155. I, I don't know. I, I, there's something about that that would be pretty intriguing. Yeah, I mean, Tony's competed at welterweight before. I, I believe that was his tough season. Uh I think he's he's booked to fight Michael Chandler next, isn't he? I, I could be wrong on that, but I don't think that's official. I mean, okay. it, it sound I know uh, I'm sure Chandler wants it, but uh, uh, it's nice to see he's he's like he's crawled out of the darkness, and, and Tony's at least around for maybe a fight. So anyway, I know that it's one's tough, a little... it's tough to say with Tony Ferguson because it's kind of like I want to see his next fight before I make any judgments on what should be sure. next for him because he's he's had a pretty rough stretch. I mean. Uh, it's, it's really tough to say. Um, Herberto Perez in the uh, YouTube chat is suggesting, what about Connor versus Masvidal for Connor's oh, return cool. fight? That's not a, a bad pick there. Although That's a it fantastic does, idea. Yeah, it, do, it does seem like the UFC is sort of leaning towards Nate Diaz, but uh, that one definitely makes a lot of sense. They have a beef. It's a style matchup, and they're two of the biggest stars in the sport. So, uh, so uh Good call on that one. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. All right. So now uh, moving out of the first uh, (laughs) non-title five-rounder, we move on to our second non-title five-rounder at the weight class of 160 pounds. We have the returning Rafael Dos Anjos, who has been out of action since November 2020, sometime in 2020. And we have him taking on Renato Moicano, filling in on, what, six days notice, five days notice for uh, the quote-unquote injured, I guess you call it, Rafael Fiziev, who had to pull out due to uh, COVID-19. Um, so a bit of unusual circumstances heading into this one. Uh, what do you think about the build-up to uh, this fight, Eric? I mean, this whole situation is like as strange as it gets, right? So two weeks ago, Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Fiziev are scheduled to headline a fight night event, five rounds naturally. And because of Fiziev's, uh, Fiziev's visa issues, the fight gets pushed back two weeks. Still five rounds. I think everyone was happy that the fight was still together. Makes sense. Everyone's happy. Well, on Monday, <laughs> on Monday, Fiziev's... He tests positive for COVID, and we see RDA uh, reacting live on Ariel Hawani's show to this news. <laughs> but he makes it clear he wants to stay on this card, right? He's been act- inactive for so long. Uh, so many of his opponents have pulled out of fights with him. His entire return to lightweight has been very strange. And we we see a large number of fighters put their name in the hat to have a go at RDA, but... The only one, the guy who got the call in the end, Hanento Moyakano, who fought just three weeks ago. It was it was all very strange, but Moyakano- and very strange that they kept it a five round fight. Like, why yeah. would you keep it? Okay, we keep the Fiziev one five rounds. That makes sense. Both these guys are training for that. But for for this, I don't know. Maybe they just need to fill time on the card. Apparently, and boy, I, I did guess. they. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there is a lot of time filled on this card. Like it's it, it's late, guys. It's late. All right, <laughs> let's jump into it. So, a 160 pound catchweight fight is made here between Rafael dos Anjos, his first fight in about a year and a half, and and then to Moyakano, who fought just three weeks ago. You know, you can probably just copy and paste our recap of the last fight and insert that in here. Just change uh, Covington's name to Rafael dos Anjos and change. Uh, Jorge Mazavdal's name to Hinenta Moyakano because this is a very similar fight we're about to jump With one big difference. One big difference. 
yes. Okay. <laughs> the f- the fight begins, and Moicano he's clearly looking to wrestle with RDA. It's kind of been his go to since moving up the lightweights, but RDA uh, just shrugs him off. He secures a takedown of his own right away, and despite Moicano like doing a good job of scrambling to his feet initially. RDA is clearly a step ahead in the grappling and he postures up just landing some strong ground and pound strikes and he looked like he was having zero difficulties maintaining top position throughout this round. Uh, Very strong round for the former champion. A a pretty clear 10-9 for RDA. We get into round two. RDA immediately cracks him with a left hook and uh, takes Moyakano down not long afterwards. Uh, Moicano's doing like a decent job of defending himself. I don't want to act like RDA is just walking through him at this point, but at, at RDA is able to control where the fight is at will, basically. When it's on the feet, he's the guy landing harder, and when he brings it to the ground, he's able to control his position. He he is dictating where the fight takes place. This is another one-sided round for RDA. Largely took place on the ground. A, a pretty clear 20-18 to 18 for Dos Anjos heading into round three. Getting to the third round, Moicano has a bit more success early on the feet. He, he keeps throwing this uppercut, which is connecting more often than not, but Dos Anjos is still moving out of the way of the majority of his strikes, and he's throwing back hard shots in return. Like, every time RDA lands, Moicano is reacting very poorly. Eventually, RDA throws this head kick that just rocks Moicano, and... It, like, Moicano looks like he's practically out, right? Uh, RDA follows him to the ground. He's throwing down vicious ground and pound. Moicano's head is just bouncing off the canvas. Uh, he somehow makes it out of the round, but this is a complete beatdown. Hard to watch. Uh, a 10-8 round for RDA. Uh, I don't think you can argue otherwise, uh, but are you, Phil? <laughs> no, no, I, I gave this one 10-8. I yeah, definitely this gave this one 10-8. The- Brutal, hard to watch. Yes, I think yeah, everybody. I'll screen share like, to prove yeah. it. Like it's yes, I gave ten eight. Yes, I, I think everybody watching was hoping the fight would be stopped here, but uh, it was not. The doctor was brought in between rounds to check on the left eye of Moicano that was like nearly swollen shut, but he, he passed the tests and it was determined the fight would keep on going. And uh, well, he he was immediately taken back down and. RDA just postures up, lands a bunch of elbows, and Moicano's a bloody mess by the end of this uncompetitive round like i i'm almost at a loss for words with the absurd nature of this fight and how uncomfortable i was at the beating he was taking at this point but uh once again we make it out of the round uh 40 35 rda and we get into round five okay the commentary team is practically uh delivering moyakano's eulogy between rounds here <laughs> and and we hear uh, referee Mark Goddard. He's he's on the verge of stopping the fight. And for, like the audio that's picked up from his mic, he says he brings the doctor back into the cage. He's like, okay, I, his corner's not going to stop it. So can you can you go check on this? <laughs> and the doctor goes over to Moicano again. Once again, Moicano passes the test. The doctor goes back to Mark Goddard, and he's like, uh, well, I I wouldn't have any issues if you stopping this. And the guy's like, but can he see? And he's like, yeah, yeah, he can see. Oh, okay. <laughs> and round five begins. But right before right before the action kicks off, Goddard walks over to Moicano and says, listen, you have thirty seconds. 30 seconds to turn this fight around or else I'm stopping it. And you know what? To the credit of Nento Moyakano, this was his best round of the entire fight. Uh, he fought aggressively. He largely managed to stay off of his back defending RDA's takedown defense uh, attempts. He, he lands some big shots, but uh, RDA's still landing too, don't get me wrong. And whenever he lands a big one, Moyakano is reacting very poorly. Uh, he he's going for the knockout strike. Like that uppercut that he was landing earlier in the fight was still working for him here, but the knockout never came. Uh the fight went the distance. I scored it fifty to forty-four for RDA. Uh the judges see it forty-nine to forty-five for RDA, forty-nine to forty-four for RDA, and fifty to forty-four for RDA. Rafael Dos Anjos is your winner by unanimous decision. Uh take it away, Phil. Uh, yeah, not much to add to that. I had it 49-45. I did give Moicano that last round. Uh, he, he was making a run for it, uh, but, uh, not enough. Uh, yeah, pretty hard to watch. Uh, a lot of discussion on if the corner should have thrown in the towel. 
what the procedures were about like what the doctor was doing was i mean the doctor was essentially just following the procedure right like it's not his job to say a guy has taken too much damage short of it's like there's a set amount of criteria that that determines if the fight can continue and so that's what it's it is more of the ref's judgment right and uh you know goddard made it clear you have 30 seconds to turn this turn it around in some capacity and moicano yeah made it more competitive but uh very difficult to watch dos Anjos gets the relatively easy victory but does it do anything for him i mean you know it's this is kind of a you know this was going to be a comeback fight against a, a top prospect in the division and now you know, where does he really go from here? There's sort of no movement on this one. So I, I would say this is a good thing for RDA on two levels. One, one because they can market that he's on a win streak again, and he can market that as well. It's just good branding. Secondly, he hasn't fought in a very long time. Like a year and a half layoff at his age is significant. And to come back in here against a, an unranked opponent is actually kind of beneficial in some ways, in my opinion. Now, I think RDA occupies a different role at lightweight than he did at welterweight. At welterweight, he was a clear gatekeeper. Like, he was good. I don't want to diminish his run, but he was never going to beat your uh, Kamaru Usman's and your Leon Edwards and your uh, Colby Covington's, these guys who are significantly bigger than him and strong grapplers. Now, at lightweight, is RDA still a gatekeeper or is he a contender? We've yet to see evidence that he isn't a contender. But he has he also hasn't beat the level of competition since moving back down, largely due to all these injuries and pullouts on both sides, right? So he's kind of an enigma right now in terms of what's next for him. Uh do you so do you do the Fazeev fight? Do you do do you put Saruki in, maybe? <sighs> Saruki in. Yeah. Saruki. You know, uh, I kind of want to see him against a higher ranked opponent. I don't want to see him against an up and comer right now. I want to see how Rafael dos Anjos does against the very best of the division in 2022. Okay, so so you're, you, I mean, we're talking about uh, Michael Chandler type personality, yeah. right? That was one of the first names that came to mind. Uh, Dustin Poirier, if he chooses not to go up to 170 pounds, that's one that has never happened before and it makes a lot of sense. Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor. Con- sure. That's there's there's that story. I mean, that's a built. It's always, that's always in their back pocket. If everyone <laughs> that's, pull it out. that's right. Yes, 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 yes. This man infiltrates every card. It's it's infuriating. And apparently, like him versus Islam Makachev, it's just the rivalry. That oh yes, will, that's it. Yeah, well, thank, thank, thankfully, the the UFC has <laughs> moved on from that officially. It's like okay, they tried one more time, but that's it. Uh, and Moicano, you know, he stepped up. He had a big win uh, not too long ago. I don't think this hurts him from a ranking standpoint, but it's a brutal defeat. You definitely need uh, plenty of time to recover. Um, but, uh, you know, a fan-friendly performance, so I'm sure he'll get a, a, a decent spot on his, his the next card that they book him for. Yeah, this is the sort of thing that the UFC really appreciates, right? Taking a fight like this on short notice and uh, putting on an entertaining fight to the best of your abilities, at the very least, showing a ton of heart. And this was the biggest stage he's fought on to this career. I mean, he's headlined fight night events before, but to be in the, a five-round fight in the co-main event of a big pay-per-view with a name like Corey Masvidal headlining, a, a very big spot for Fernando Moyagano. And I, I guarantee he impressed a lot of people who didn't know who he was previously. All right, so next on the card, we had a featherweight battle between Edson Barbosa and Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell coming in as a slight favorite over uh, the veteran Edson Barbosa. Indeed. Uh, were you in agreement of that line uh, prior to uh, the bout? Uh, I wasn't. I thought Barbosa made sense as the uh, the f- the favorite. Obviously, there was a style uh, difference here that was the story to be told but the biggest thing for me was a i we'd seen uh barbosa versus so many high level fighters and we'd seen him do well we'd seen him lose but he's almost always in a competitive fight and uh for bryce mitchell even though he's been undefeated some of those wins they haven't been the most graceful of wins you've seen a lot of flaws in his performances so 
I thought that the line was a little bit uh, odd, but uh, it turns out that the odds makers uh, had it quite right. Yeah, I had the exact same mentality going into this. So uh, Edson Barboza versus Bryce Mitchell between a couple of ranked featherweights here. Uh, Not long into the first round, I mean, we immediately get the biggest surprise of the entire fight right in round one because Bryce Mitchell drops Edson against the cage with a straight left hand. Barboza didn't seem like seriously rocked from this, but he went down and you know Bryce Mitchell was going to capitalize on this opportunity. He jumps on Barboza, he lands a bunch of short elbows and just controls him on the ground for pretty much the entirety of this round. I mean, Barboza scrambles to his feet late and lands this big right hand, but not much from Edson aside from some early leg kicks and that late strike. So this was a very clear round for Bryce Mitchell, especially with the knockdown taken into account. Uh, we go into round two and Barbosa throws an ill-advised calf kick. It gets caught by Mitchell and Mitchell just immediately takes the guy down. Uh, he has the entire round to work here and uh, boy, did he make the most of it. Uh, much like the first round, Mitchell throws down a bunch of sharp elbows, which cut Barbosa open near his left eye. And uh, late in the round, Barboza does pop back up, but Mitchell just drags him right back down, keeps peppering him with strikes. This was a non-competitive round. Uh, I scored it 10-8 in favor of Bryce Mitchell. Let's jump into round three, and guess what? Round three is uh, pretty much the same. Barboza loads up a bit too much, and Mitchell just changes levels on him, takes him right back down. Uh, Barboza actually goes for a triangle choke at one point, and, and it was a decent attempt, but uh, Mitchell lifts him up, and Barboza slips once they go up. It was just natural given kind of their positioning, and jumps right back down on him in full guard, uh, lands a bunch of ground pound strikes. Barboza is a bloody mess. And the fight goes the distance. Uh, I scored it 30-26 for Bryce Mitchell. The judges see it 30-25, 30-26, and 30-27, all in favor of Bryce Mitchell. Uh, what was your scorecard, Phil? I had it 30-27. Uh, I think maybe that second round on rewatch, I could probably give a 10-8 there. But uh, there wasn't a lot of... There wasn't too much damage with the strikes. It was mostly positional dominance, although there was a fair bit here and there. The first round... Barbos is over here just bleeding to death, and Phil is over <laughs> here. Ah, he's, he's fine. <laughs> he was more fine than Moicano. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but no, nonetheless, just a complete dominant performance by Bryce Mitchell, uh, who also went on the mic afterwards and said that he's donating... $45,000 or half of his purse to a charity, a children's charity in his home state of Arkansas. Uh, so there was a feel-good moment right yeah, there. That, that was very nice. I wasn't sure what the, the direction was going to be after Bryce Mitchell, of all people, got a microphone. But uh, thankfully, it was a nice moment where he, where he said he was going to donate a lot of money to charity. So good on him. Yeah. Um, well, uh, now... This is an interesting question. You know, where does this set uh, set him up? Because he's undefeated, uh, dominant performance against a highly regarded veteran. Um, you look at the rankings, uh, there's not that many people uh, to climb in there with. So, uh, uh, you know, the, a name that jumps out at me is Brian Ortega. Oh, Brian Ortega versus Bryce Mitchell. Wow. Yeah, no, that sounds like a ton of fun. Uh, I, I really want to see that fight now. Uh, unfortunately, I think Ortega might I think be scheduled he is, for something. I, think, I yeah. think he is booked. Let's, let's Against see. Against Yair Rodriguez, perhaps. Yeah, that sounds about right. But well, uh, now that oh. you've put that out there, that's the fight I want to see. <laughs> okay, well, but besides that, where, where, where do you see him going in this division with his camo shorts? If you don't want to immediately put him against a, a title contender, there's still plenty of people. Like, he's just climbing into the top 10 now. He hasn't faced anybody else in the top 15 except for Edson Barboza. So, I mean, you can go in any direction you want. I mean, Dan Ige comes to mind. So, I do not, ha- I do not have a, uh, a uh, fight for Brian Ortega currently booked. So, maybe there it, it, that uh, Yair Rodriguez fight is not set in stone. Or just a figment of our imagination. Could be that too. Could be that too. Wishful thinking. That's a pretty good fight as well. So, uh, but yeah, very, uh, you know, uh, 
big performance for Bryce Mitchell. I wouldn't be surprised to see him headline a fight night, actually, after uh, something like this. I think it very much depends on the opponent. I mean, if it's, I don't think they're going to headline a fight night event with Bryce Mitchell against Dan Ige, but if it is someone on the level of Brian Ortega, yeah, that's a headliner. And then for Edson Barbosa, I mean, somebody who's been around the game for so long, one of the most exciting fighters in the sport, had a run at 155, dropped down unimaginably to 145. He's looked, you know, hit or miss there. So it's a difficult question to ask, you know, what the future does hold for Edson Barbosa. Uh, Barbosa's in the same place he's been throughout, like, 99% of his career, right? He's a ranked fighter, he's a fan favorite, very entertaining. You can do whatever you want with him. There, You can put him against someone unranked, somebody lower in the rankings, you can put him against someone higher in the rankings. It doesn't matter. He's an exciting fighter. Uh, you know what to expect with Edson Barboza. You know what his weaknesses are, too. You know exactly what strategies a fighter needs to implement to beat him. The, the, the blueprints are out there for his successes and failures. And uh, you can do anything with him. Do you, do you have something that immediately comes to mind? Or No, I mean, I guess for me, it's really just the question is like, is 145 the best place for him? Is, or is 155 the best place for him? Where have we, like, he, he hasn't looked bad at 145. But it looks like maybe like they've just like extracted every ounce of water from every <laughs> pore that he has as well. So like you know, I don't see the performance being tremendously better than one fifty five either. No, I agree. I could see him jumping around between weight classes, to be honest. Uh, just to see it like it is, as much as I love Edson, he's not going to be a champion in either division. And he's probably not going to be a top five guy in either division either. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Just do whatever uh, is, is best for him. There are plenty of fun fighters at 145 and 155 to match a guy like Edson Barboza up with. Yeah, I think that's that's the big thing. Find some fun fights for him. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All right. Speaking of a fun fight, uh, prior to Edson Barbosa versus Bryce Mitchell, we had... Kevin Holland making uh, not his welterweight debut, but I think it's his welterweight debut in the UFC against uh, Cowboy Alex Oliveira. Yes. So let's just start off by saying Kevin Holland, this dude looks massive at 170. Like Alex Oliveira is a big welterweight by himself. It's not too often he's outsized, but they, they look like they're at completely different weight classes here. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kevin Holland, I mean, he looked, he definitely looked leaner than he did at 185. But when he was at 185, he was pretty shredded. Uh, he seems to ha- just have a really massive frame. And uh, so I guess, you know, and that size carries over to 170. And he w- he was towering over uh, Cowboy at points in this fight. 
All right, so jumping into the first round here and uh, what a round it was. Both fighters are just swinging wildly in the opening minute, kind of like jumping across the octagon at points to land a straight right. And uh, Oliver is attacking Holland's lead leg, and they were quickly beginning to affect the movement of Holland, who was going down from some of them early. Uh, there were a wild exchange where both of these guys rocked each other. I think it was I think it was Holland who rocks Oliveira first, and Oliveira just responds with this quick right hook to take to to get Holland off of him. And they're both rocked at practically the same time. But uh, impressive recovery from both men here. Holland goes right back uh, with some leg kicks of his own, and much like Oliveira's leg kicks to Holland, they add up quickly. But with just uh, a few seconds remaining in this crazy, crazy round, Oliveira goes for this big takedown where he, like, lifts Holland into the air and slams him to the ground. And then this wild scramble. And this all takes place in the span of, like, seven seconds. In this wild scramble, Oliveira takes Holland's back and nearly sinks in a choke. It was under the elbow, so it wasn't like he was going to finish it. But it was he nearly sinks in a rear naked choke just as time expires. Uh a very fun and a very crazy round, but uh, the fight didn't last much longer because going into round two, Holland drops Oliveira with this quick right hand and just immediately follows him down to the ground, gives him no time to recover, throws down a ton of ground play on shots, and the fight's ultimately stopped. Kevin Holland wins by TKO at 38 seconds of round two. What a wild fight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cowboy comes out and is a lot more technical and measured than he normally is. Um, Why? Who knows? But it seemed like it was a good decision because he was controlling that first round. Uh, Kevin Holland did land well, um, but uh, I did find that Cowboy was controlling it and I gave him that the first round. Uh, And you could hear that in Holland's corner. They, They weren't terribly happy. And he came out and uh, finished the fight pretty emphatically in that second round, stopping a veteran cowboy, making a statement with his first fight at welterweight. So the natural question is, who's next for the exciting fan favorite? Extremely fan favorite. The crowd was way behind uh, Kevin Holland here. I mean, in his post-fight interview, he alludes to wanting a fight with Donald Cerrone. But I'm not interested in that fight at all and hope no. they literally book him against anybody else in the promotion. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know about you there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about the idea of, of putting like how long do we I don't want to see him against a wrestler again, you know, like I wouldn't put him yeah. against what about somebody like um How about Jeff Neal? I was gonna say Neil Magny. So we, Jeff Neil Magny. <laughs> <laughs> we could amalgamate the Jeff Neil Flanagan Magni. We'll get we'll combine three Neils into the ultimate fighting machine. Let's Jeff be real. Jeff Neil Flanagan Magni. Yeah. This this podcast has all in a part. We've it's gone two all... in the morning. We've lost our minds. This That's is right. That's right. Well while we were losing our minds, the UFC announced that Habib Nurmagomedov will be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame at some point. I'm not... They didn't announce that uh, if uh, Vince McMahon will be inducting him or who it will be yet, but I'm sure it'll be somebody of note. Uh, So what do you think about Habib Nurmagomedov being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame, uh, Eric? I mean, he's really as obvious of a choice as anybody. The, these, the UFC Hall of Fame is very weird. It's For people who aren't familiar with it, it's it's a lot like the WWE Hall of Fame in which uh, you're going to be inducted based on your standing with the promotion. Uh, like, I don't know how anyone could argue against Habib Nurmagomedov, but like, well, what's the qualification? What's the voting criteria for a UFC Hall of Fame, right? So I, I don't even know how to discuss this, really. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, the, the, from... The criteria, obviously, undefeated, undisputed, one of the greatest fighters of all he's time. He's obviously no? a Hall of Fame worthy. That's that's right. But you know, he's not even what eighteen, twenty months removed from retirement, <laughs> and here, you know, he he's still he's still saying he's gonna fight people. Like, didn't he say he'd fight Jake Paul in Eagle FC? So I mean, he's he's I don't know. Maybe he's even still in the USADA pool. You you, you never know. But uh, 
so yeah, it's a little weird, like these instant uh, inductees that the UFC does. And the fact that they don't really have a, an actual Hall of Fame, a place to go for people to celebrate these fighters is, is a little bit odd. I think it's just like they put it, their picture in a hallway in the apex or something. But uh, A literal but, Hall of Fame. <laughs> that's a yes. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, of course, Habib deserves it, um, and uh, we'll we'll see who else get, joins him in this uh, this year. I mean, there will be an event this year. I mean, the last couple years they've. I mean, last year they had something, but then two years ago there was nothing. So this year they're planning on an international fight week. So I suspect that they'll have a proper ceremony at that time. So. They'll probably be announcing other fighters in the weeks to come as we approach that. All right. And opening up the card, we had a heavyweight battle between Sergey Spivak and Greg Hardy. Uh, The announcers, you know, making sure to let us know that Greg Hardy came into fight week weighing over 290 pounds. Yep, uh, huge weight advantage in favor of Greg Hardy. Uh, unfortunately, it, it didn't help him at all because seconds into the fight, Spivak hip tosses him to the ground. Uh, Hardy does his best to get up, but Spivak just keeps dragging him down. It's pretty clear that Greg Hardy has absolutely no idea what to do, and Spivak just throws down ground and pound until the fight is stopped at uh, 2 minutes and 16 seconds of round 1. A completely uncompetitive fight and a quick win for Sergey Spivak. So that's uh, three TKO losses in a row for uh, Greg Hardy. Um, Do you think we see him in the UFC again? Do you think we see him in MMA again? I predict we do see his fight career continue, but I read that this was actually the last fight on his UFC contract. And if that's correct, I don't see them bringing him back. Although they seem to love him for some reason, despite the fact that he draws in no fans. Uh, Everybody hates him. And half of his fights aren't particularly entertaining. But imagine the heat. Imagine, imagine the, the heat. heat. <laughs> I guess people like people like seeing him get knocked out, though. So <laughs> that's, that's I guess yeah, that's that's worse. That's worse. Something. Um, Eagle FC or PFL or Ooh, Bellator? Uh, I think it's, I, I'm going to say he ends up in Eagle FC. Yeah, you know what? I think I agree with you. I think. Eagle FC is next, but as I'm saying this, I'm actually changing my opinion, and I think he's going to resign with the UFC. I really? think they're going to bring. They love this guy, man. They absolutely love him. They put him on a pay per view main card here over like top ranked straw weights. This was, uh, uh, I think they'll keep him around forever. Uh, no, I, I see Jorgen De Castro in his future. <laughs> Oh, Jorgen De Castro versus Greg Hardy. That's gonna, it's gonna it's sell gonna out arenas, move, man. Move, move the needle. That's going to move the needle. All right. So that was uh, the UFC 272 main card. Why don't we go through some of the preliminary action? Uh, the preliminary card was headlined by Jalen Turner versus Jamie Malarkey. Both pretty uh, well respected uh, lightweights here. Um, how did it happen? So this was another uh, fun fight on this card, right? So just uh, moments into the bout, Turner catches Malarkey with this right hand, and it kind of it, it rocks him. But Malarkey fires right back, and he wobble he wobbles Tur- Turner in the process. They're they're both rocked like in the first minute of this fight. It's clear that they both have power, right? As the fight progresses, though, it, it feels like Turner's picking him apart on the feet. Every time he lands, he's getting such a reaction from Malarkey. But I could never say this round wasn't competitive because even as Malarkey was kind of getting lit up at points, he'd just throw back these bombs that would land clean and completely equal the playing field. He, he'd throw in the threat of the takedown constantly, too, just keeping it on Turner's minds. I thought this was a really entertaining round. I gave the uh, edge to Turner, but it could have went either way, really. Going into round two, however, Turner immediately goes back on the attack, and he lands this like knee right to the midsection that causes Malarkey to drop his hands, and he he recognizes the moment, and he just throws right hand after right hand after right hand after right hand. They all find their home, and eventually Malarkey goes down against the cage, and Turner just throws down ground and pound until the fight's finally stopped at 46 seconds of the second round. Uh, really impressive performance from Jalen Turner. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, the UFC clearly sees something in him, and uh, that's why they put him in this spot uh, right before the pay-per-view. Uh, very exciting style. He's looked very good up until now, but this was by far his best performance. And uh, he's somebody who's massive for the division yeah, as well. Yeah, he's a big guy. Yeah, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does against some of the wrestler types who are going to shoot in on him and get under the legs because there's great wrestlers in that division. Yeah, like a four-fight win streak, a solid mix of knockouts and submissions right now. I really don't think he's that, that far away from ranked competition, but uh, it's a very deep division, so there's Absolutely. no saying anything for sure. Yes. All right. Uh, before that, we had an important fight in the women's strawweight division as Marina Rodriguez took on Yan Zhao Nan. Yeah, so this was, in terms of uh, highly ranked fighters, this was, in, by some regards, you could say this is the most significant fight of the entire card because these are people who are in immediate championship contention right now, especially Marina Rodriguez. We jump into the action, and Jan's fighting very aggressively to start things off. She's putting the pressure on Rodriguez, and I thought she looked really great on her feet earlier. She didn't seem concerned by Rodriguez's power. Rodriguez was backing up a lot, throwing counter strikes, and Jan was just kind of walking through them and throwing these big right hands. She seemed to have a slight speed advantage early in the fight, at least. And uh, this was just a really solid round for Jan. And there was a moment, though, where... Uh, <laughs> Rodriguez lands a low blow that leaves the commentators just uh, completely uh, befuddled as to what to say as a low blow has just taken place in a fight between two women. How do they react? Yeah, they stopped the action. They had to bring in the translator. They had to bring in the doctor. And the commentators were acting like they'd never seen that happen <laughs> in a female fight before. And, uh, I mean, I pretty, like I pointed out, like, I'm pretty sure we saw that just a few weeks ago. Like, yeah, it, no, this it, has it, happened it, many times. Yeah, it's not, it's not that uncommon, it's, it's I just guess. It's such a strange moment from the commentary team. Like, Jordan's like, I don't feel comfortable looking right now. So, yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. What is yeah. going on? Yeah, it was, it was weird. <laughs> it was very weird. Joe anyway, Rogan's back, was, everyone. Yeah, Joe Rogan's <laughs> they were, they were fine to continue, and Rodriguez fought aggressively throughout this final minute, but uh, Jan secured a takedown right before time expired. Uh, I gave this round 10-9 for Jan. How, how did you see the opening round, Phil? I gave Jan the, the round as well. She just had the harder shots through the early part of the round. Rodriguez was able to find her way inside and land a little bit towards the end, but not enough to take the round. We jump into round two, and it's still playing out largely on the feet. Now Rodriguez is the advancing fighter. and But, but it still felt like Jan was kind of dictating the striking engagement. So Rodriguez was, like, tracking her down, but Jan would be the one who would step in to start the, the exchanges on the feet. Uh, she brought Rodriguez to the ground at one point, just wasn't able to keep her there for any significant amount of time. Uh, Rodriguez was throwing a lot, but she wasn't landing quite enough. That being said, when she did land throughout this round, it felt to me as though she was doing a bit more damage. And that was the deciding factor for me in what was a very close round. So I had it 19-19 going into round three. What about you, Phil? I had it the same way. It was a very tricky round to score. I The, the, the image that kept coming into my mind were her knees. Whenever they got into the clinch, Marina Rodriguez would land these really nice knees that were just digging into the body at an angle too. And she'd like land a couple of them here or there. And in a close round that, that was what I gave it to. So now we're in round three and Jan is fighting a lot more tentatively by this point in the fight than she was in the first round, perhaps exhausting a, a sizable amount of energy early. This allowed Rodriguez to really pick up the aggression. And I really liked what she was doing here in this third round, landing these big looping left hooks. Uh, Jan still was firing back. She, she actually cut uh, Rodriguez open at one point late in the round. In the final minutes, Jan lends this big left hook, but she eats this knee and a bunch of elbows from Rodriguez in return. The fight does go the distance, and I saw it 29-28 for Rodriguez. Uh, how about you, Phil? Yeah, I had it the same way. I think Rodriguez was a very big favorite going into it, and it's understandable. You know, she's she's somebody who people are pegging for a title shot, but Jan had looked very good in her previous fight. So I, I thought that the line was a little bit silly, and, you know, the fight proved to be very competitive. Um 
clearly Marina Rodriguez, as I just mentioned, is on the path to a title shot. Yeah, Rodriguez it, 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 gets the, the the decision nod. It's a split. Uh, two yes. twenty nine, twenty eights in her favor, and one for your opponent. Just just so yes, everybody yes, knows. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Just so it's clear, Marina did get the W. Um, but so yeah, so she's on a path towards a title shot. Um, but Yon looks very strong. I'd love to see her in a big bounce back fight, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see these two fight it out again down the line. Yeah, so I think what you're saying about the odds, I, I people have recency bias, right? They remember their your, a fighter's last fight more than anything else. And in Jan's last fight, she was uh, brutally defeated by Carla Esparza, like uh, yeah, in the performance of Esparza's career. So I, I can see that weighing on people's minds, but at the same time, that happened because Carla Esparza is a wrestler. That's not how Rodriguez fights at all. And it was a striking battle for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we also had a light heavyweight fight between Nikolai Negumeranu and Kennedy Njuku. I think I got that right. I got both of them right. Um, this was a weird one. Should, do, do, we, do we need to go through this or should we just sort of quickly summarize it, Eric? Uh no okay so this fight sucked it was it was uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was technically only fifteen minutes but this felt like a six hour long epic I mean without any of the epicness because there was very little activity uh the final scorecard uh Nagaramu wins by split decision with scorecards of twenty nine twenty seven twenty nine twenty seven and twenty seven to twenty nine if you're wondering about those strange scorecards it's because uh. Kennedy poked him in the eye so many times that eventually a referee actually took a point due to an eye poke, and that resulted in these strange scorecards. Uh, you can really score pretty much any of these rounds either way. It's completely fair because that's just the type of fight this was. Uh, maybe you felt very differently, Phil. Tell us if you did. Maybe maybe it's just too late. I'm being too no, harsh. No, no, it wasn't. Man. I mean, it wasn't. The, I didn't find it. I, I mean, I thought the most frustrating part of the fight was. Kennedy was not engaging. He, he was sort of fighting at distance, but not really fighting too much. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much time. You can skip this one. Uh, um, and to start the preliminary card, we had uh, Marina Morose uh, taking on Maria Agapova. Um, I'll just go through this one quick. Morose gets the takedown, takes the back, can't get the finish. Then she just... She just starts piling it on. She's too much for Agapova and uh, gets the finish. And that's not really the story of this fight. I'm kind of skipping through it because uh, I want to get to the post-fight speech where uh, Marina Moroz of Ukraine, uh, Joe Rogan hands over the mic. He, you know, he, it's not something he's, he does, but he hands over the mic and she gives a very heartfelt speech uh, that's personal about her, her own struggles. and of course. Just dealing with, um, you know, watching uh, her country at war over the last week and, um, you know, just sending a message home and uh, very heartfelt uh, moment. I know I'm not doing it justice in the slightest, so I would suggest you go online and and find that clip on Twitter or somewhere else because it was a lot more interesting than I make it out to be. I couldn't have said it better myself. Go watch go watch this one yourself. It's a really touching moment. Uh, our thoughts are obviously with Ukraine. And uh, she mentions that her family is still there. So obviously a very, uh, very concerning situation for her. And uh, to, to get a big moment like this in front of a supportive crowd was a, a very nice moment. All right. So why don't you run down the results from the uh, preliminary card while I get the bonuses? All right, so we're going all the way back to the fight pass prelims that occurred about 10 hours ago. Uh, we had Umar Nurmagomedov defeating Brian Kelleher by rear naked choke at 3 minutes and 15 seconds of round one. Uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal performance from Nurmagomedov. Uh, he was the biggest favorite by far in this entire card, and for good reason, apparently, because he walked through Brian Kelleher, a very tough opponent here. Uh, Tim Elliott defeats Takir Ulambekov by unanimous decision, 29-28 all. Uh, people were up in arms about the decision on this one. It was a close fight. There was definitely a, definitely a lot of cheating on Tim Elliott's end. There's no need to mince words, but it was a close fight. I, I wasn't uh, upset by the decision at all. Uh, before that, we have Ludovic Klein versus Devante Smith. Another split decision. Uh, 
scorecards of 29-28, 30-27, then the opposing 28-29 that was in favor of Smith. And then finally, at the start of this card so long ago, Dustin Jacoby defeats Michael, oh, I'm going to butcher this name, Michael Olashechek. That's it. That's you it, it. You can retire. Vision 29-28 all, and that was UFC 272. All right. So uh, the post-fight bonuses. Uh, performance of the night goes to Kevin Holland, uh, Marina Moros, and fight of the night, Covington versus Masvidal. What? <laughs> Attendance, attendance, <laughs> attendance was 19,425, the 11th consecutive pay-per-view sellout for the UFC with a gate of 6.76 million, number four all time for the UFC. So, uh, big business in Vegas. Uh, now, looking ahead on the schedule, next week, the UFC returns for a fight night. You've got Tiago Santos versus Magomed Ankalaev in a light heavyweight uh, bout. And then beneath that, you've got Marlon Marais versus Song Yadong. That's a pretty decent fight. Uh, Sadiq Yusuf on the card versus Alex Caceres, Khalil Roundtree, Drew Dober. There's some decent fighters on this card, but not not the strongest of cards. And then the next time that we are here for a post show is going to be on UFC 273, which is Volkanovsky versus the Korean Zombie. That's set to take place on April 9th from the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena, the UFC doing Jacksonville a solid and returning there for the next pay-per-view, which also features Aljamain Sterling versus Piotr Jan, Mackenzie Dern versus Tisha Torres, Kevin Gastelum versus Nazardin Imavov, and Irene Aldana versus Aspen Ladd to round out the main card. Some other decent fights uh, beneath that. We've got Gammon Tucker, Jerezinho Rosenstrike versus Marcin Tabura. So some things to look forward to uh, at uh, UFC 273. Uh, what are you looking forward to, Eric? Uh, I mean, if you're looking forward to Rosenstrike versus Tabura, all the power <laughs> to you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, Volkanovski versus the Korean Zombie should be fun. Uh, Volkanovski's naturally going to be a pretty sizable favorite in that one, but if the Korean Zombie could make something happen, that would be a, an all-timer moment in the sport. Uh, mm-hmm. There what, are some good fights coming up. Uh, one uh, event I should mention that I did neglect is on March 19th, which is the UFC's return to London, England. Uh, Alexander Volkov is currently scheduled to face Tom Aspinall. We'll see if that uh, that goes down. Uh, it sounds like Tom Aspinall is determined to stay on the card, and I'm pretty sure that the UFC wants him on that card. They have a really good fight. Featherweight debut of Dan Hooker taking on Arnold Allen. That's Return uh, that, to featherweight. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, that's right. Return to featherweight. And then uh, we also have Patty Pimblett versus Rodrigo Vargas, uh, Nikita Krylov versus Paul Craig. So uh, just a big event in London, uh, their first time in, in uh, you know several years due to the pandemic. So I think it's just going to be a really hot crowd and a lot of anticipation for that event. Uh, maybe even the return of John Gooden. Yes. Could it be? Yes, yes, he he can he can finally do something that isn't a video package. So yes, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it was it was a fun time hanging out uh, with you tonight, Eric. As always, you did a wonderful job in the Discord. For all uh, anybody who doesn't know, we do uh, pred- fight predictions in the Discord. Eric's usually running it, and and uh, today was no exception. So you can always join us at postwrestling.com slash discord for all of your MMA and wrestling coverage, along with other things. We do tons of fun stuff in the discord. Um, but also tomorrow night, John and way return because it's a big event, right? It's AEW revolution, revolution. Revolution. That's right. One of the biggest AEW events of the year. I know CM Punk is taking on MJF. Uh, there's. Uh, why don't you help me with some of the other matches uh, on the and card? We have, we have Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. Your main event will be uh, Adam Cole versus Hangman Page. It's a pretty strong card, top to bottom, I'd say. 
yeah, so yeah, a lot of anticipation for that. So why don't you join the Discord, hang out during the during that event, and then of course John and Wei will be back tomorrow night to recap all the action on that event. So uh, with that said, I want to thank you, Eric, and thank everybody for tuning in. Do you have anything to say to the wonderful people in the post-universe? Well, first off, thank you, Phil, because you're the one who makes all this work. And I don't have a secondly. I just started with the first off, and I figured something would come to me, but I actually don't have anything. This is it. It's like 2.30, guys. I'm sorry. Well, I was, I'm just very thankful that you were able to find your way out of the Batcave, take off the Elden Ring, and spend a little bit of time with 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 your friends in the post wrestling uh, universe. Now, I'm just delaying this as a form of torture. He's, he's just going right into it. It doesn't matter. He's just he's unplugging. He's unplugging the webcam. He's turning on the PS5. It's all over, people. All right, we'll catch you next time. Peace and love, everyone. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.